Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I am happy to be joined once again for the first time in a little bit of time by my friend Graham Hall. Graham, you went to a movie. My man, yes, I did. You know, you and I, I think, had done maybe 10 podcasts. No, I don't think that many. It seemed like a lot in the past, but, you know, with the football season going on, I didn't have a as many opportunities to go and I've seen a few movies as of late. I saw knives out. I saw queen and slim, but I finally had a chance to see a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which was really special to me and was special that you and I did this podcast because I, I believe we did, uh, the Mr. Rogers documentary, uh, a year ago or two years ago, whenever it was, or won't you be my neighbor? And, And I loved it so much. Yeah. Won't you be my neighbor? fantastic movie fantastic documentary and so i really wanted to do this and i'm very glad that you have me on tonight uh to talk all about it no i'm glad we brought it full circle and like uh, understandably life gets busy and uh i'm but i'm very happy that you uh uh just going on a little bit of a binge the last couple of weeks and got around to this one because i i wanted to do it and beautiful day in the neighborhood is the newest movie from director marilyn heller written by micah fitzerman blue and noah harpster and it is based or inspired by the 1998 Esquire article by Tom Junod, uh, Can You Say Hero, in which he profiled Fred Rogers. And this kind of tells the story more from the perspective of our fictional journalist in the movie because they didn't want to, like, make it all about Tom Junod because they want to change things to make it a little more cinematic. So it follows the perspective of a fictional journalist by the name of Lloyd Vogel, who gets the task of profiling Mr. Rogers, who's played by Tom Hanks. Matthew Reese, who you might know from The Americans and a lot of other smaller movie roles, plays Lloyd Vogel. And it is actually kind of a supporting role for the Mr. Rogers character, though I think we actually learn about Mr. Rogers a lot, which is one of the cooler parts of this movie, despite the fact he's a supporting character. But it largely follows Matthew Reese's Lloyd Vogel as he gets this assignment when he's feels like it's maybe a little beneath him as a guy that's known as an investigative journalist and he is going through a lot in his life at the time with his wife and newborn baby and an estranged father that tries to come back into his life and let's just say it's a very fortuitous time in his life to meet someone that is like fred rogers uh Graham, I want to start with asking you this because you already brought up the fact that we talked about uh, One Should Be My Neighbor uh, last year. And it felt like that movie gave us a really good sense of like just Mr. Rogers as a person and everything he stood for and why his show was so significant. So when you see a documentary like that, which, again, we both really liked and uh, the whole country really liked, it did a lot of business for a documentary. And then it's like, okay, one year later, we're having a feature film about this guy. So it's like, man, I felt like I learned a lot about Mr. Rogers in that documentary. So what are you hoping to get out of a feature film about? About Mr. Rogers one year after watching a documentary that really seems to capture his essence. Yeah, I think that's the greatest misconception about this entire movie. And, and, and I understand why the film was sold and marketed on the premise of, oh, this is a Mr. Rogers movie. But, you, you know, you nailed it on the head when you said that he's a supporting character because he really is. Uh, the movie is 100 percent about Vogel, who is a fictional character based on John Tom Genode. Um he, it's really based on him and his relationship with his estranged father, which is dramatized and, and more fictionalized as, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's really what the movie's about and, and how Fred Rogers came into his life. Uh, I think you may have said this, but it's based off of, you know, when Fred Rogers passed away in 2003, his estate found, I think more than 200 letters uh, written between Fred and Tom uh, after um, dating up to his death after the article came out. Oh, I hadn't seen that actually. 
so it's based on their long friendship and and when the filmmakers and the screenwriters came to the estate they wanted to make it clear that the movie would not so much be a dramatization about fred rogers or painting him as the saint uh it would be about the relationship with this journalist that he didn't need to have who was you know out to kind of be critical of him and examine him and and really had a huge impact on his life that the letters revealed that extended way past the article and i found that really neat and very humanizing and I don't think at this point we really need more evidence that Mr. Rogers is this great, amazing person, but it is just another anecdote and another late byline outside the show, um, piece of evidence that we saw in the show that he is this caring person and, and really can affect people of all ages. I think that's a, a huge part of what the movie conveys is that Mr. Rogers, who is known for impacting the lives of young children, can have a monumental impact on someone in their forties going through a little bit of a crisis just because they are a child. A child is someone of you know any age. And I think the movie really hammers that home uh, with the relationship with uh, Vogel and his father. But um, I, I found that extremely interesting because it was not a retread of the documentary. If you want to go out there and learn a lot about Mr. Rogers and Fred Rogers as a person and who he is and his life and, a timeline of it. The documentary does a great job of that. I think better than, you know, I think you could use the word definitive for the documentary, but I think its own story and have Fred Rogers be a supporting character. And that is completely fine. And that's why I think it's so effective. Yeah. I'm glad you made the point about just talking, mentioning his effect on adults. Cause that's the thing I, you, in the, in the, in the documentary, you see him interacting a lot with little kids. And I, I've been very busy lately. I've seen a bunch of movies. I'm trying to get a bunch of podcasts done and I actually have a real job. So I just didn't know if I was going to have time to go back and listen to any of our podcasts from last year on Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I did have a little time to go back and listen to it. And obviously, I guess one thing we were talking about a lot was like, wow, can a person really be like this good and positive and genuine at all times? And the answer is yes, kind of. After watching this movie and learning a little bit more about just like seeing how his interactions go because in the documentary you see him like bringing children onto his show and making a big impact on their lives by like someone that just like needs to have that positive presence someone who he means a lot to whether it be a kid with an illness or just any regular kid like he's very good at just making them feel like they're the only person in the world or whatever but to see him actually have that effect on an adult and how he's drawn to them is something really special because I guess I just didn't actually know how that would work, like how he would just approach a regular person in the real world. And obviously, uh, being the subject of an interview in a national magazine is not necessarily the most normal everyday life thing, but like it's still an interaction with a person outside of the structure of his show where he is playing a character to some extent. So I don't, I, I just really enjoyed seeing like how there was more to him that meets the eye. And obviously, we knew that a little bit through watching that documentary, but just. I liked how throughout this movie he keeps getting put on the spot by the Lloyd character being like, what do you think about this? Are you really like this? You don't have any worries in life. How do you feel about this burden where everyone wants to come to you with your problems? And I really enjoyed like seeing Tom Hanks' performance and seeing him struggle with those questions. And it's like he wants to be this overbearing positive presence and he's going to find a way to deflect if someone tries to like crack that facade. And I thought I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, I agree with you on on so much of that. I, I think that you know the biggest overarching theme of the way that the movie is structured is all about um, 
honoring, I think, Mr. Rogers in, in every single way. The way that it doesn't, I think, paint him as a saint. You know, you know, it shows him handling his anger and, and admitting to it up until the very end, the way that the credits, um, you know, begin with him pounding on the piano. Uh, it, it does a very good job capturing all that, but it really exists as, as kind of a, a larger, I guess, episode, movie, whatever you like, that's just like the uh, Mr. Rogers show itself, but just for adults, even from the be- way the beginning begins with the picture board that opens up uh, to Vogel with his head, with his face that gives you a little bit of mystery that, you know, as a child, that sense of wonderment that when Mr. Rogers pulls out something, yeah, like my, my friend, or, you know, fish or some inanimate object and have this sense of wonderment about it that would leave you wanting more. For adults, the way that exists for us in movies and TVs, TV shows is often when they give you a little bit of a teaser. They drop you into a scene that it's about 30, 40 minutes into the movie, and you're like, okay, what what happened before this and what's going to happen next? And the Mr. Rogers movie, this movie begins with that, I think, plot device by dropping us in with the picture of him, and you don't know what's going to be in the middle picture board. They only show you the first four and then that fourth one that they show you, you know, his face is all beat up and you're like, OK, what's going on here? How are they friends? Do they already know each other? And it gives you all this sense of wonderment that the show captured and is subconscious. You may not realize it at first, but the more you think about it, you understand, OK, this is just what the Mr. Rogers show was trying to uh, accomplish. And then I think that the, the movie hammers that home extremely well throughout the, you know, the later half, the two thirds of the movie when. Um, he continually finds that, you know, it's okay to have these emotions you're having, anger, sadness, you don't need to suppress them. And, you know, we can talk about how, uh, as you know, people in our twenties, you know, we're always told to suppress our emotions later in life. And it's an important, I think, message in that regard. And, um, it's a reminder that we were taught this as kids by Mr. Rogers. And it's important to remember it as you get older too. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, especially as guys in your twenties. I guess I mean, I guess it's a fairly important message about masculinity in that regard. But at this, I also just enjoyed, like you said, Mister Rogers is teaching all of these lessons to him. Uh, but at the same time, it kind of allows you to see that yeah, no one is one hundred percent perfect. Like it's cool how he is trying to teach these lessons to Lloyd about you have to open up, you have to show emotion, and every time like Lloyd tries to get any like genuine uh answer about out of fred as to like how fred actually legitimately feels about anything other than wanting lloyd to be better you know he deflects and i thought one of the cool things when i went back and listened to our podcast from last year my one big criticism of that movie was man i just didn't really give a shit when he talked to puppets sorry for saying shit in a, in a podcast about mr rogers but i was like i don't really care about him talking about these puppets with using these puppets to talk there was a lot of time in that documentary where it's just like him like talking to little kids with daniel the lion and i was like this is not that compelling to me as a kid that did not watch this show and that might have been the most compelling part of this movie to me where he's constantly trying to get lloyd to be better and it's really cool to see him interact with an adult that way but at the same time when uh he, he when he anytime he gets the tables turned on him he might just literally put on a puppet and i found that really fascinating for someone that we only know from that one way he acted on that show to then have it be this way and while yes this movie probably took some liberties and tom hanks is doing his own thing and i appreciated that it. it's like tom hanks was doing a performance that was more inspired by 
Fred Rogers and trying to do a straight imitation of him. Thought that was a very smart choice on his part. I just thought it was really interesting that like uh, we're being taught all of this by Mister Rogers, which is all very good lessons about how to actually like embrace your emotions and not run from it and and trust people in your life to be able to help you with those kind of things to then be like hey this guy's not perfect either he probably struggles with this kind of stuff too and it was just a really cool insight into a person like that like i don't know like i don't i don't know if we talked a lot about biopics in general on that podcast but you know i think a a worse version of this movie is going to be like the fred rogers story from when he was like two years old to when he died and i say that about any biopic and i say that also noting that like it might be better with mr rogers than a lot of people because how the hell does someone end up being like mr rogers like in general so it might be more interesting to see them as a little kid but if you're just gonna a slice of life with him as a supporting character this is probably the best way to do it yeah that's why i was a little bit i guess like taken aback when we first read right when the documentary came out that they were making a movie and then it'd be out fairly soon because Tom Hanks, yeah. i think i had yeah, I, I think I had the same, uh, you know, trepidation, hesitation, whatever you want to call it, that many people had that one, you know, how can you really make a spot on portrayal of, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers without kind of being hokey and making fun of his voice in a sense, or you you really need to do your own, I think, you know, not, not so much impression, but just a homage to him. And I think that, you know, Tom Hanks did that perfectly. I don't think that there would be a better... Um, version of a Mr. Ha- Mr. Rogers type character, you know, that show, um, oh, it escapes me right now. Of course it does with Jim Carrey, uh, on Showtime where he's playing a Mr. Rogers, um, inspired character. Oh, I don't know. He's not trying show. to, oh, it's fantastic. Uh, it, you know, I gotta, I gotta look it up right real quick, Gotcha. but it, you know, he's not doing a Mr rogers type impression either he's it's called kidding of course okay. it's called kidding huh. um you, you got to watch it it's it's pretty good they're gonna do a season two that's coming out fairly soon here but he plays an older version of a mr rogers type character who does have some i think baggage in his adult life and does have real anger and um is having kind of a, a mental you know break issue whatever you want to call it i don't want to you know pigeonhole him too much here but I think it's very important. I think in in order to honor Mr. Rogers, you can't be impersonating him him too much spot on without right. him kind of getting hokey. Um, I think the shop the show did a very good job of that. I think that this movie did an extremely good job of that. And it was one of the first things that I read about when that kind of had my interest high in this movie when I, when I first saw after the documentary came out that they were making this movie. The estate came out and said, you know, we were really opposed to any biopics that you said there will never ever be a mr rogers movie i think is what they really said oh wow I <laughs> um which which is why that this movie um has to exist the way it does where tom hanks is not impersonating fred rogers he so much so in, in his mannerisms i think that he nails the essence of him spot on and captures the character but um i think there are definitely liberties taken of not only vogel and, and tom janode but definitely mr rogers as well where it's not spot on but that's what makes it so effective in my book yeah that was the next question i was going to ask you because i mean there's some train of thought in general with biopics that you know maybe you don't want to have someone play an extremely famous person who is already an extremely famous person themselves it's going to be like really hard to see them as anything other than that and i mean that there might not be an actor in this country who that would be more true for than tom hanks who has already had so many iconic roles to the point where he is just so famous for being tom hanks that i was honestly a little worried when i'm like oh wow they're gonna 
hire someone this famous to play him, maybe they should just do a little more of a lesser known actor that looks a little more like Mr. Rogers to begin with. And I honestly came away from the movie thinking that it didn't need that at all. I was so impressed with just like the his performance in general and the way that he, you know, played those different notes that I'm referring to where it's like he answer whenever he answers any question from Lloyd in this movie and he has that look of hesitation on his face I was like wow you probably need a really good actor to pull this off and allow you to know like hey there's something more going on beyond the surface here and it, it was it was worth it and I think Tom Hanks really killed it so you were pretty pleased with his performance as well I was extremely pleased with his performance I thought he did a super super effective job and you have to give him a whole lot of credit for that uh, maybe this is just me, you know, like kind of the woke meme where his, you know, the guy's head is exploding. But I think it really, why Tom Hanks was so perfect for this role was not only that they're what fifth or sixth cousins, whatever it is. Um, but you saw that as well. We know what Tom Hanks and, and, uh, Mr. Rogers, they are apparently sixth cousins or oh, something I, like I did, that. I did not fifth see that. That's crazy. Oh man. You came in unprepared to this. Tom Hanks is he is hey, you're taking me to school. Like I like it. I, I missed that. Wow. Uh, no, I know, man. Yeah, he, they're like cousins or something like that. You know, they only found out, I think, a few years ago. He didn't even know. Um, but I, I think that part of the reason uh, Tom Hanks is so effective in this role, besides that maybe, is that he's played so many roles like this. Uh, you know, Captain Phillips, Walt Disney, you've seen him in so many famous roles that it's no longer a surprise. Playing to wholesome play someone people. Else. Yes. Yeah, and because he's no longer known for just one role. You know, there are some people out there who you'll, you'll always look at them and be like, oh, you know, Emma Watson, Hermione Granger, or, you know, you know any of the Harry Potter kids or something like that. It's not like that with Tom Hanks. He's played so many, you know, whether it's biopic characters or, or wholesome people, like you said, that I think people will always just insinuate him or, or – put him with their favorite role of his uh for me it's Forrest Gump when I see him I, I always think of that you know a lot of scenes in Forrest Gump and, and some people yeah. you know it's Philadelphia and and big and I don't know what are the modern ones no I, I kind of see what you're saying though if like if, he, if he's like known for so many things maybe he won't be known for any one thing I mean he might be Forrest Gump to a lot of people, but he might be Woody to a lot of people, I guess. So yep. uh, that's, that's just the way that goes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess I think we're in agreement on the fact that it's kind of impressive that we felt like we learned so much about the guy while he's doing it through a supporting performance. So, I, I mean, you said you already told me that you just love the movie in general. So how did you think the movie executed uh, – having so much of it be through the point of view of just another character who this audience just doesn't know. What did you think about uh, just shoehorning in this other uh, family drama, essentially, into a movie that everyone thought was going to be a Mr. Rogers movie and how the movie uh, executed that with uh, this uh, Lloyd Vogel character who is going through a lot of shit of his own? Yeah, you know, I I did have to continually remind myself that um, a lot of the elements that were in the movie are elements of the Mr. Rogers show and, and why I liked the show. A lot of people will say that it's slow and, um, you know, about people that you don't necessarily care about. And often that was Mr. Rogers, you know, he was about taking a minute to relax and, and think about people in your life. And you saw that scene, not only in the film, but lo- like slow shots of, of family, uh, drama. And I, you know, I, I think that that stuff isn't for everyone no doubt but there's a, a definitely in this modern age where you know we consume media and forget about it right away you know 
I think there's something to be said about a, a movie that can have multiple slow shots, you know, introspective and uh, be effective and, and be interesting in this day and age. And I think that the movie managed to stay interesting repeatedly while also being slow. And um, that that's something definitely in a feature of documentaries. But when you can do it in a movie that I, like you even noted that a lot of people expected something different coming into the movie. They expected it more of a Mr. Rogers biopic. If, if that's the case, if you didn't do all your research, I think going in and look up what was in it, that's certainly something that can lose people, but it, it's so effective with everyone in their roles and all the, all the uh, actors and actresses, you know, from Andrea and, and um, Vogel with Matthew Rice. They were all so well, you know, they were all so great in their roles that it, those shots work. Um, yeah, great. even if you weren't inspecting that. Yeah, I'm, I have you ever you did. Were, I'm guessing you were not a watcher of The Americans. No, my girlfriend is, and and she was always trying to get me to watch it, and I just wow. So I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know if this was one of the movies you saw without her. She might have scolded you a lot if you did that because Matthew Reese's was incredible on The Americans, but. If you ever do get around to watching it, it is pretty perfect casting. Because I didn't actually know what the storyline was going to be going into this movie. I just knew it was going to be more from the perspective of the journalist. And I was like, okay, well, cool. I'm here for Matthew Reese. He's like one of my favorite television actors of the last eight years or whatever. Good for him to get this role in a Tom Hanks movie. And I did not know it was going to be about such a broken person because that almost became a meme on the internet in and of itself the last couple of years of The Americans was like uh, sad Philip Jennings. That was his character in The Americans and just how broken he was as a person. I mean, in that, though, it's more like he's playing the Russian spy that has to kill innocent people a lot. So he's very sad about that. Kind of different, but at the same time, like, you know, he has the face to do something. Something like that. Uh, sure. Just like, look sad and look broken and look empty. So if you told me going into the Mr. Rogers movie that he's going to be the guy that's like a broken, sad person that Mr. Rogers had to fix, I would have been like, wow, he's going to have no problem nailing that part. And uh, that was absolutely true. But I, I, I guess part of it is just that it's just a very appropriate and uh, smart framing device if you want to come at this from a different kind of way than your average biopic might because I like again we learned so much about Mr. Rogers but it's kind of makes sense that he'd be really drawn to people like that and I kind of totally bought that he would just like zero in on this guy in a way that made the guy uncomfortable but you totally bought that like Mr. Rogers would that might be how he would spend his downtime it's like okay I'm gonna talk to kids and make an impression on them in the most part but like when I'm off the air like I'm probably gonna be spending all, more time talking to adults and uh, how am I gonna make a difference doing that and I kind of like thought it was a very appropriate uh, way for this movie to structure itself to be like all right I'm gonna try and fix this guy and I just thought it was very smart in how it went about showing that. Yeah, I think that a lot of people could, you know, it definitely doesn't try to, you know, nail what uh, Mr. Rogers' motivations were um, for wanting to help people. Um, you know, for children, I think it was well stated. We always knew, you know, he always stated why he wanted to help children. But when it came to adults, um, we, we are left to, I think, infer a lot of those things. Um, and, and that's what I think the movie does really, really well. You could see why he'd want to meet with him based on reading all his work, that this is someone who, who maybe is struggling to deal with some anger or pessimism or lack of hope, whatever you want to call it. And that's something that Mr. Rogers, I think is drawn to helping people. And, and the movie, I think by adding that suspense in there, not answering that question, uh, is, is extremely effective. And, and, um, in this day and age, when you just want to help someone just to help someone, 
uh, I think that story is is important to remember, and I'm I'm glad that they told that without answering that question because because too often movies don't leave those uh, motivations up to interpretation, and this is one of those times where I think when someone like Mr. Rogers has passed on and we'll never really know what sparked that friendship, what led them together, but it all makes sense when we know what we know about the person. Um, it, it's one of those things that's better left open to interpretation. And I think the movie did a really effective job of that. Yeah. So did you buy the transformation that he ultimately affected in Lloyd, that Lloyd would then all of a sudden be, because I think that's obviously pretty crucial because there's a point in, in this movie at which it's clear that Lloyd goes from just viewing Mr. Rogers as this interview sc- subject of which he is skeptical to someone that is like, uh, a friend and a confidant and someone that he actually cares deeply about and values uh, his relationship with. Did you uh, did you think the movie uh, achieved that goal of just showing this bond between these two guys pretty well, where they go that they undergo that transformation from his relationship to the point where he's going to welcome into welcome in and welcome Mr. Rogers into his home with his dying father? Yeah, I did buy that. You know, I, I, again, I think that it's important sometimes to. I think check your just to remind yourself that, you know, it's not a documentary. It, it is a feature film. And, and um, the relationship between Chris Cooper and, and uh, you know, Vogel's character, um, you know, Rice's character um, are definitely, you know, fictionalized dramatizations. I think that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, answering that question, you know, I think that it's it was effectively done. But with all that said, it, it, it's just more a good reminder, I think, of humanity more than anything, because I think in this day and age, I think we often forget the impressions that a stranger can leave on you um, and what a, you can do to benefit a stranger um, and how easy it sometimes can be. But back in 1998, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers made the effort to learn everyone's name, write it down in a phone book, call them from home at night you know, fly out to meet this guy, you know, call him on the phone, see his dying father. And in that effort, a lot of people wouldn't make this day and age. And, and that's an effort we know Mr. Rogers made. And, and there are countless pieces of evidence from that. And especially if you, you see the documentary, I think it's a good time to plug that. Um, so I thought that the movie did a really good job at using that fictionalized story to, to capitalize what we know to be true. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that you have to remind people that this is a definitely a, a dramatization in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, shouldn't lose sight of that. That they, uh, I don't think Tom Genoa actually had that kind of relationship with his father, but and that's why they changed the guy's name for the sake of the movie. They're like, all right, we're we're he's we're inspired by his story, and this is there's a lot of truth in this. He really did see this as a life changing experience, a meeting with Mister Rogers. But uh, they wanted to still do their own thing because this is Hollywood, and you got to have a little bit more oomph in the story, but uh, I thought they also pulled it off well. I mean, it almost caught me off guard how moved I was by it at the end where I was like, oh, wow, like I I do actually kind of see like how this change, this, this change in attitude has overcome Lloyd and it, 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 all of a sudden it's happening. I'm like, oh, wow, I actually, I kind of feel like more close to Mr. Rogers at this point, so I get why, why he would as well. Um, I guess uh, one of my last questions for you then, Graham, would be like, uh, you're you unlike me uh, are a working journalist i i will at one point in my life that was a goal and then that did not actually i did not actually achieve that did you have any thoughts on this movie from the perspective of a journalist it was obviously of a different time uh his his publication paid for him to take multiple flights uh for a literally a 400 word article so maybe not the kind of journalism that world that you're used to but did you have any thoughts on this as like a journalist watching a movie about a journalist 
Yeah, I loudly scoffed when he was one griping about 400 words, man. You're like, like oh, one, man, that's all you need? Cool. Yeah, just call him up for five minutes and you could get that. And there's so much info. I, you know, I, I, I got to, like I said, remind myself that it wasn't the Internet age. And maybe right. there wasn't as it, it wasn't as much of the Internet age, you know, but maybe there wasn't as much out there as we would have liked to think on Mr. Rogers. But come on i mean and he wrote what ten thousand words <laughs> one any editor would have fired him on the spot if that was the assignment right this is i mean al- my, almost pre-internet they might have had it then but like i guess they ended up putting those ten thousand words all in esquire yeah and and you know speaks to his arrogance which i think <laughs> the movie um you know hammered home he thought that the assignment was beneath him and he was like if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna one use the company card take a million flights and bus rides. Uh, yeah, bus rides. I'm going to leave the hospital middle of the night. I'm going to expense my meals. You know, I thought I saw, oh, I thought I saw Mr. Rogers. Now I'm taking this bus ride <laughs> across the country or across the Northeast. So a lot of things like that where, you know, I tried not to get triggered. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I thought that the essence of the, what it captures that you should strive no matter the cost to, capture the story there even if you know and this is i guess against a a lot of journalism ethics even if i guess the story is you the better um in this case which i think is okay sometimes for magazine feature writing when you reach a certain level like this author um apparently had reached so i think that that it may be okay in this one you know uh certain circumstance but um yeah if you're going in looking for a lot of journalism ethics uh it's probably better than Richard Jewell, let's be not, let's be honest. Oh, um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation to be had on another podcast. I'm recording in the next couple of days. <laughs> there's a plug. Yeah. Um, oof, wow. Think of the irony of that one. Yeah. But, uh, I, I did love the, the beautiful magazine homage in, in, uh, this movie. It was fantastic. Um, the printing, the dye that oh, was yeah. straight out of what Mr. Rogers was always trying to teach people. It was, it was one of those documentaries you always took for granted in elementary school you know um i love that being in the movie it's it, it captured not only the slow um you know stop and watch something that you may not care about and in this day and age it captured all that for me as well i, I thought that was a wonderful scene yeah I'm, in this movie. yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because it's been a few weeks since i saw the movie so i probably wouldn't have even thought to bring that up but like there is something to be said before we sign off to talk about the movie's visual style because uh we're talking about how it uh bucks the trend of traditional biopic a little bit it's not a cradle to the grave story and it in fact makes the person that you think it's a biopic of a supporting character it's unique for all of that but like for a movie that it's not necessarily something like a lot of biopics might call for a lot of more uh, weird visual flourishes or special effects or CG, not CGI necessarily, depending on the subject matter. But uh, on the surface, a movie about Mr. Rogers wouldn't really call for anything all that flashy or interesting looking from the for, from a visual standpoint. And it actually does some really cool stuff. And I, I'd forgotten about that uh, – just something like that those little interludes where it shows something like a magazine being printed but also the way it just uh has its uh little transitions where it shows these different cities uh i don't know if you'd call it claymation or just simple animation or whatever that is but it was kind of just like a cool different type of thing you don't normally see in a movie this genre and i appreciated that they thought to even go there in the first place yeah i liked a lot of that the visual stuff um as well I, i thought a lot of it was a really good capturing um I think of a different time, you know, the nineties is getting farther and farther, uh, into the past as much as we hate to think about it. And, 
Um, you know, TV was a little bit farther, it was so far back, back. Uh, I think this movie captured it really, really well with, with people being just on the verge of this, uh, technological innovation where the internet was in almost everything. And, um, but at the same time, still watching all this TV on 480p and huge TV sets. I think the movie captured that extremely, extremely well. Uh, and I think a lot of people like yourself and myself who were five years old when this movie was occurring at, you know, the end of the the Mr. Rogers era, um, can remember a lot of these things. And it, it reminded me a lot of my childhood. I thought that was one of the most effective things. And, um, I remember watching Crayola documentaries and, <laughs> and how crayons get made and stuff like that. Uh, when I was that age and, and it, that scene brought me right back. Yeah. I guess in ways it does, that's another interesting visual way of just kind of, uh, showing without but not telling the different kind of things that mr rogers probably tried to convey to kids because a lot of it might have been very bigger themes about uh society but also they might get very in the micro about just how one very specific thing in the world worked and uh so that those are different interesting ways of conveying that graham before we sign off any other uh final thoughts anything i didn't ask you about any other uh, interesting observations about the movie you wanted to shout out because again it's a lot more fresher in your head than it is in mine no, I thought it was really, really effective. I, you know, again, I implore people if they really want to know a lot more about Mr. Rogers uh, to watch the documentary um, that, you know, made me really want to watch it again. I thought there were a lot of uh, things that this movie didn't cover um, and, and, and tried to, I think, and sometimes. But but that the documentary really shows how progressive Mr. Rogers was in many areas. And yep. and that movie, the movie reminded me a whole lot. And, and that's what. I think you captured it best when you said that this movie was Mr. Rogers as a supporting, you know, character. Because uh, if you really want to know more behind why he did so much with, you know, so little um, sometimes just by talking and listening to people, then go see the documentary because it really captures how important that was in that era. And yeah, that's that's all I said. I'm probably going to watch it again very soon here, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's just cool that like in a movie in which the person who is a theory about is a supporting character, I felt like I learned more about him than I often do in biopics where the uh, subject is more centrally featured. And I just thought that was a kind of a, a little cool thing that this movie accomplished. And again, it's just uh, Marielle Heller is a very impressive director who, I mean, everyone keeps talking about just how humanistic she is, but also, I mean, the movie's. Uh, full of compassion and feels very grounded and at the same time which i i really appreciated just like he uh pulled off last year with can you ever forgive me though i think i probably actually like this uh this movie better and i still actually need to watch her first movie diary of a teenage girl which is uh just uh, also very highly acclaimed and i hope that she uh gets more accolades we're we're like a week removed from females getting shut out of the best director converse uh nominations at the golden globe and this was one of the ones uh people kind of pointed to as in addition to little woman with greta gerwig is like hey maybe you should have recognized this one so i'm happy to kind of sing her praises even more uh graham since the last time you were on the podcast we've used this last little segment uh to give uh, people the chance to plug anything they want i always tell you to do your social media but uh you can do that or what we've also been having people do is hey here's something else i've been watching lately i highly recommend it so i'm just giving you a minute to plug anything you want it can be social media and or something else you're watching that you just want to recommend to people. So do you have anything else you want to point people to before we sign off? Sure. You've probably talked about this with people before, and I don't know if you've watched it um, yourself, but I've really been enjoying uh, Unbelievable on Netflix. Um, I've not talked about it on the podcast. I'm glad that you brought that up. Really? 
Really? Well, I mean, it's, um, we're not a TV podcast, but like, I, I'm, I'm always down to have people uh, shout out a TV show, and have that you was really it? well. Oh yeah, no, I, I watched it. I mean, I go way back with Caitlin Deaver to Short Term Twelve, like, so I sure. was like in as soon as I found out she was in it. But like, I mean, that is a, it was a really good freaking show, and it's obviously a tough sit, but I mean, it's really I'm important. I'm about to finish. I'm on episode seven. Oh, okay. Um, it's you know, I, my, my. Uh, uh, my, my girlfriend's brother-in-law works at ProPublica. And, oh. um, so we hear often, you know, what he's doing and, and all this, and this being a ProPublica story, you know, me being a journalist, I found this extremely interesting and the power of journalism and, and, uh, this story won the Pulitzer for ProPublica in 2015. And I saw Tony Collette, who I think has done an amazing job these last few years, maybe a very underrated job in a lot of movies, um, sometimes, and, and I, think I mean, watch, better... like, watch this, watch Hereditary and watch Knives Out and like, wow, she can do anything. Yeah, she uh, and I think she'll only continue to get uh, better roles moving forward. And, and I think, you know, that's kind of like you just mentioned all those uh, who can really complain because she is getting a lot of opportunities. But um, with all that said, I think The Unbelievable is a great show um, and really fits kind of into the this movie vibe. You know, the, the Marie character, there's a lot of dramatizations taken with her character which is just so painful to watch, you know, like you said, but, um, at the same time you have this dramatization of kind of like a making a murderer type case where, um, these two investigators help piece together this monumental, um, case. I found it extremely effective and I expected to get a lot of awards. Yeah. For anyone listening that doesn't know, I mean, uh, yeah. And it got some, uh, it got some golden globe nominations too. I think, uh, I think, I think, Oh, nice. Uh, I yeah, need to read more of those, honestly. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think Caitlin Deaver was nominated for, uh, best actor, like in a mini series or something like that. And I think the series got nominated and one of Tony Collette or Merritt Weaver also got nominated for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, cause we were kind of talking around it, like, cause we're both very familiar with it. Unbelievable tells the story of this, uh, young woman named Marie who, uh, was sexually assaulted and made a complaint, but, uh, was handled very poorly by the police the first time around and got charged with making a false police report and it deals with both the fallout of her having to go through that process but also a couple detectives that actually investigated the case in a much more uh compassionate and smart way and it's uh Merritt Weaver and Tony Collette play the detectives Caitlin Deaver plays the young woman and uh yeah I mean the, the show is full of compassion and uh shows exactly how you should go about handling something like that and how not to act towards someone that goes through something like that but does it in a way that doesn't feel like too after school especially I mean it's a true story so they, they're working with what they have but it's a, I thought the show just pulled it off very well so I, I do appreciate you giving that a, a shout out and uh taking advantage of our time to do that as usual though uh if you want to follow me it's josh jernavoy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox and the podcast twitter is rewind movie pod and the podcast gmail is the rewind movie pod at gmail.com uh coming up next on the show i guess we're gonna have a podcast on marriage story and then we'll have one on dark waters and richard jewel and then some that little known movie i keep referring to that we're going to talk about at some point star wars the rise of skywalker so everyone stay tuned for all of those Thanks. Ooh. Yeah. Thanks again to Graham for joining us and we'll see you next time.